Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Do The Work Podcast. I am Sabrina Zohar, your lovely host for today, and I have a very special guest, a dear friend of mine, Masha, who is going to talk about attachment styles, the central nervous system, and we are going to fucking deep dive into all the things you guys want to know. So stay tuned and let's get to it. All right. I'm so fucking excited to have you here, Masha. I'm going to just turn the mic over to her so that she can share what she does, who she is in a better light than I ever could, and some amazing insight that she's going to share with us today. Okay. I'm so excited to be here. Honestly, guys, we have been talking about this for weeks, so I am pumped. My name is Masha Kay, and I'm a nervous system and breathwork coach. And that kind of doesn't mean a lot to people, so let me explain a little bit. I typically work with high achievers, perfectionists, people struggling with anxiety, and I help them learn to regulate their nervous system, optimize their health, reconnect with who they truly are, and ultimately just build a better relationship with themselves, which enables them to build better relationships with other people, to show up more fully at work, in their careers, and just in all areas of their life. That's fucking awesome. And which I think is like what we talk about all the time is about doing the work on yourself. And it's less about the other people and more about yourself. And I think that is a theme that you're going to hear throughout this episode, I'm sure, is oftentimes we say stop looking and using this information to analyze everybody else and use it to figure out what works for you so that you can have the relationship that makes sense for you. And so I think that'll segue us into too, like, what's your story? How'd you get here? Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's a long story. You're going to have to like pull me back a few times as I tell it. (laughs) But how did I get here? So in a very unexpected way, to be honest, I grew up as an overachiever, perfectionist. I was really good at math. First day in college, you know, I'm... I that. Yeah. First day in college, I decide my major. First day in college, I go into my math class. I'm like in the advanced math class. And someone's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well... I'm really good at math. I just need to figure out what makes a lot of money doing math. And they're like, you know, actuaries are like the thing right now. They're the number one voted career. They make great money and you don't have to go to grad school. I'm like, done. Never looked back. That was how I made the decision to be an actuary. Did that, graduated 4.0, got the, the internship, like did all the things, get into this career and like a year and a half in, I'm miserable. Oh, yeah. I am like, wait, this is it? Like, I worked this hard and I'm just in this cubicle. I'm not actually that interested. I'd like taking math tests. That's what I realized. I was really (laughs) good at taking math tests. And when it came to applying that to insurance, I'm like, this is so freaking boring. I'm not into this. And at that point, I basically have a quarter-life crisis. Okay. Uh, Call it a spiritual awakening, whatever you want. Sure. And I realized, I'm like, I have no idea who I am. I have no idea what I like. I have no idea what my emotions are, and I need to figure all this out because this can't be it. And so at that point, I start getting into my physical health, you know, and that kind of leads into my mental health, and that leads into my emotional health. And so I'm starting to kind of connect the dots of like, I've never been connected to my emotions, my desires, my needs. Everything was about how to get external validation, like how to just be really perfect, be a good girl, do what everyone else wants you to do. And so I go through this journey and in that I'm like, wait, I need to change careers. 
but I don't even know what I like. So I just go into another career in a fashion company in finance. And I'm like, this will just be a little slower. And I'll start to figure that out. And in that time, I started just getting certifications to just honestly understand myself better in holistic health, in, you know, mental health, really attachment, polyvagal theory. And eventually I'm like, wait a second, maybe, maybe this is what I meant to do. And I realized that I, I wanted to become a coach. And so I moved from New York to L.A. and in that time quit my job and did this complete 180, which I think shocked everybody in my life. <laughs> um, because if you knew me seven, eight years ago, this could not be a bigger 180. Oh, I'm with you. No, same. I think most people are like, you do what? I'm like, I know from the pack a day smoker to the girl that didn't walk down a goddamn block. And here we are like the pinnacle of health and wellness. So I'm with you on that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. For me, it was more like you're into math and like you just care about achievement. And now you're, you know, you live in San Diego and you're working out and yeah, it's a complete 180. And so, so yeah, that's kind of how I started working with myself. I started coaching in that time. I discovered honestly, a lot about myself, like a lot of what I do is based on my own journey and like tools that I've needed to learn. Yeah. So I learning about the nervous system, I struggled a lot with anxiety and perfectionism and understanding where did my overachieving actually come from, you know, holistic health, right? Like just taking care of myself better, connecting with my body better. And of course, that a huge part of that journey has also been understanding my attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Sabrina knows him. I've been with my husband for 15 years. Yeah. We're only married for five, but we've been together since high school, which so is... So cute. It's so rare. Oh, my gosh. Is it cute? I oh, I cringe it. every time I say it. I, I don't know how that ended up being my story, oh, but it I is. I love it. And that's kind of been a huge part of my, my journey because, you know, growing together, going through a relationship together, like, we literally grew up together. And so understanding attachment, which was like seven, eight years into our relationship, I learned about attachment. I'm like, oh, so much makes sense. So much about him makes sense. So much about me makes sense. So much about like some really rough patches that we went through makes a lot of sense. And honestly, understanding my attachment helped me even understand relationships with friends, relationship with family. It was just like a huge puzzle piece for me. Like the nervous system was one huge missing link for me. And I would say attachment was another, which is why to this day, I work on helping people reconnect to themselves, regulate their nervous system. I teach attachment. I teach nervous system work, polyvagal theory to every client. And I teach attachment to every single client because we can't talk about you having a better relationship with yourself, you showing up better at work, in your life, in with your kids, without talking about your attachment. It's it's the blueprint of how you live your life that you're completely unaware of. It's this like unconscious force, just like the nervous system, and obviously they're interconnected. But but yeah, that's kind of that combination got me to where I am now. And I'm, I'm with you because like for a long time, for years actually, I didn't understand the correlation between attachment styles and the central nervous system. Truthfully, it's been in the last year that I've really started to understand, like I always say, the pinch has to match the out where you're like, oh, I'm kind of understanding how one goes with the other. And I would love kind of you to give a quick synapse of like, Talk to us about, truly, what are the three attachment styles aside from secure? Okay. And then, so four. And I'd love to hear your 
kind of take on how that impacts the central nervous system. Because I think there is such a correlation. And I think so many people that at least write into me or that talk to me, or like we even had done the live a few minutes ago prior to this and hearing so many people asking so many questions of like, my avoidant is doing this and my avoidant or this person's doing this. And I don't think that people understand that their anxiety and the reasons that they're asking all these questions about the other person is because they're dysregulated and how it manifests within themselves. And I think there's a confusion about, oh, if I just understand the other person, I'll self-regulate, which we know is not the case. Which is not the case. Not the case. Okay, so let's let's start at the beginning and you'll ask me questions because I can talk in all different directions about this. So let's start with attachment, right? And the way I like to think about attachment is it's this hidden blueprint from childhood that informs your behavior, Yeah. right? So the easiest way to think about that, I love this visual, is you want to think about a baby when it's born as like, a computer just like off the factory line like there is nothing on that computer right like just straight out of the factory pure and blank and brand new and then over you know it's debated how many years anywhere from three to eleven that's debated over those years there's just software being downloaded onto this computer and that software is the you know painful experiences, trauma, the ideas of your parents, of society, of school, all these experiences. And there's just no filters for that. It's just all yeah. being downloaded, right? And then at a certain age, again, 3 to 11, that's debated, we stop downloading software and now we're just running off of that software. And what we now know is 90 to 95% of your behavior is just running off that software of mm. those early years of life, mm-hmm. right? It's unconscious. Yeah. And I really like encourage people to let that like sink in. Yeah. That so much of what you do is unconscious. It was programmed way back when from your attachment to your primary caregivers. And now your relationships, whether that's with partners, friends, family members, are just a reflection that, you know, we could even apply that to other areas of life by your attach your work, money. All of it. And can we also, I I like the way you explain this oftentimes when we're speaking. Trauma, because we'll get that a lot of like, I didn't have any traumatic experiences. My parents were great. What are you talking about? This doesn't make sense. I learned this from an ex-boyfriend who treated me like shit two years ago. So can you please kind of debunk that aspect? Because we're going to do a lot of debunking today of this trauma. And then we can continue on as to like what the different attachment styles are. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because that is so, so incredibly important. So I hear you guys. I used to think that as well. I have to be honest. So like Sabrina mentioned, I I used to be more avoidant. I would say I definitely still lean avoidant, but that's kind of where I come from. Meaning disconnected from emotions, sometimes looking at the past the rose colored glasses. And I used to think like, I don't have trauma. My parents are amazing. I have an amazing relation with my parents, which I do. But here's the thing. Trauma is not just big T trauma. Yeah. Right. So big T trauma, famine, abuse, rape, war. Obviously, that's traumatic. Yes. And a lot of us don't have those things. And we think, oh, that must mean I don't have trauma. Thank God. Thank God. However, we all, every single one of us has experienced little T trauma. Right. And little T trauma could be literally anything Mm -hmm. because trauma is not the experience itself. Trauma is how you felt in that experience. Two people can go through the same exact experience and one walks out traumatized and one does not. 
It has a lot to do with how alone you felt. It has a lot to do with how much agency you had, right? It has a lot to do with were you able to handle the physical, mental, and emotional dysregulation that happened, or were you just completely overwhelmed by it, right? That's what's going to determine whether something is traumatic to you, not the event itself. Totally. And that's why, like, siblings, perfect example, like, you can have siblings that went through the exact same thing, and they turn out completely differently because it's the... It's and then what I think there's the common misconception, especially about the attachment styles in your adult age, is what people don't realize is you're coming from that emotional age. So wherever the trauma took place, so even if it's something as simple as, I had one girl, she was like, my mom was a workaholic. She was always gone, and I she was you know it wasn't intentional. She was at work all the time, but my needs weren't met as a child. That's not a traumatic experience, quote unquote. And I think the norms of society of like, well, the mom didn't beat her, and the mom didn't do that, but she the child's emotional needs were not met. Right. Thus, that manifested in their in this girl's adult life. She was constantly coming from the emotional age of a ten year old until yeah. she started to do the work, which you can listen to last week's episode or the last two weeks of that that what I talk about. But until she started to do the work and identify, I've been stuck coming from this emotional age of a child. Now that I've done all this work, I am able to reparent and come from an adult response. Because as a child, we can't process what's going on with our parents. We are not cognitive enough to go, oh, I know why my parents are doing this. You're seven. What do you know that is going on? So of course you internalize it. But I think as an adult now, that is really where the work comes in of being able to reparent and respond versus react from that emotional age. But I'd be curious, I'd like the way you describe what are the ways that this trauma can manifest itself, i.e. what are the attachment styles? And then again, how do they manifest itself with the the, um, central nervous system? Yeah. So... You're absolutely right. Those traumas, those little T trauma or big T traumas then manifest in these different survival strategies, let's call them, right? And one way we can talk about those survival strategies that we develop in response to trauma is by talking about attachment theory, right? And so what attachment theory kind of tells us is that depending on your attachment to your primary caregiver, you're going to have a different attachment as an adult, not just to loved one, not just to like romantic partners, but to friends, family, and so on. And so there's the secure attachment, right? Secure attachment is if your caregivers were there for you, if you felt like they were meeting your physical, mental, and emotional needs on a consistent basis, which is not perfect. No. No parent can do that perfectly, right? But on a relatively consistent basis, then you grow up to be an adult who is able to spend time alone, to be independent, but then also come together with others, right? So you're able to have have intimacy, but then also feel good on your own, maintain boundaries, excuse me, express your needs and so on. So that's secure attachment. And let's just be clear. All of us have a secure foundation. We were all created to be securely attached, right? That is within all of us. And if we work on that, that is accessible to all of us. Now, that being said, most of us lean towards one of the three insecure attachment styles, right? And those insecure attachment styles vary depending on that connection with your primary caregiver. Yeah. So if your primary caregiver, like you were giving the example of a mom who's a workaholic, right? If your primary caregiver was great when they were around meeting your physical, mental, emotional needs, but not doing that consistently. So when they're there, they're great, but they're not always there. Maybe because they're working. Maybe they have their own stuff going on, right? So many things could happen. Now as an adult you lean more anxiously attached, which looks like there's this constant searching for 
connection, there's this constant fear of abandonment because as a kid, your parent wasn't always there. So you were very hypervigilant about, are they leaving? Where are they going? Are they coming back? You weren't able to trust that they were going to be around. And now when you became an adult, that didn't just go away. No, it doesn't. So now, exactly, (laughs) as an adult, right, you still have that hypervigilance because remember, as a child, if your parent wasn't around, you're not okay. You needed your yeah. parent to regulate your nervous system, take care of your needs, right? We need them. Our survival does, in fact, depend on them. And us being hyper vigilant about where they are and what they're doing made a lot of sense. Us acting out, crying, right? That was our way of getting our needs met, and it was really, really effective. Yeah. And it's just that we've continued doing that as adults. Right. And that makes so much sense. We are still yearning for our needs to be met. We still don't feel like we'd be safe on our own, even though now as adults, we would be safe on our own. We no longer need our partner or primary caregiver to take care of us. But our nervous system doesn't know that our nervous system still thinks you on your own. You're not going to be able to make it right. It's still living in that. That emotional age, age. that emotional age. Right. And so that's why with anxious attachment, what we see is there's this intense fear of abandonment. There's a hypervigilance. There's an intense focus on others. There's often a lot of people pleasing, a lot of like my needs don't matter. Yours do. Right. There tends to be a lot of insecurity. They tend to have a negative model of self and a positive model of others. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. That is huge as somebody who I can identify as the anxious you always think every you put everybody on the pedestal for them they have done zero to deserve that but you're like yeah fuck it let me help you up because it takes away you can always look to strive to become better Mm -hmm. through somebody else's lens as opposed to realizing that it's through your own lens but I have seen with the with some avoidance as well, I'd be curious to know, okay, so we understand anxious, we understand secure. Now give us the meat and potatoes of the one everybody wants to know, which is avoidant. (laughs) And then we will break and come back. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about the avoidant. So hopefully for the anxious, you can have a little bit of compassion. I'm like, oh, that makes sense why we would do that. We had to do that as kids and we're still doing that as adults, right? Now I want you to have that same level of compassion when you start thinking about avoidant attachment. Because for those that struggle with avoidant attachment, what happened in childhood is that their primary caregivers, their physical, mental, and emotional needs were not met or were met in a very rigid way. Yeah. Or there was just like some neglect, right? And again, it could be for a very innocent reason. This doesn't mean you had to have like abusive parents. It might be parents that were working. It might have been parents that were going through trauma. Like I immigrated here. Like I know why I'm avoidant because I know what happened when my parents were immigrating here and my experiences, right? And so those kids that are, you know, whose needs are not getting met on a consistent basis, what happens for them basically is they say, you know, to crave connection and belonging and not get it over and over and over Mm -hmm. again is so painful that they learn to disconnect from their emotions. They learn to completely shut that off. They learn, I can't trust other people. I cried out, I called out, and those needs weren't met consistently. And so I could only rely on myself. And the only way I could do that is if I completely cut off from my emotions, I just become incredibly self-sufficient. So as adults, what that looks like, avoidance tend to 
push away intimacy and connection because at the end of the day, they don't trust other people. Other people didn't show up for them consistently. Totally. They had to learn to take care of themselves, right? And so that looks like being counter-dependent, not just independent, but almost yeah. like needing other people, depending on other people feels like a weakness. They tend to be very logical, right? Whereas like anxiously attached people tend to be more creative because they're a little more in touch with their emotions. Now, I want to like point something out. It's not that the avoidant, doesn't isn't afraid of abandonment right like the anxiously attached we are we all are yeah right it's just that the avoidant is expecting abandonment and is protecting themselves from it whereas the anxiously attached is still like yearning for it. like maybe if i try hard enough right the avoidant is like it's not going to happen there's no point of trying i'm going to expect that everyone's going to reject me and abandon me and so i just need to focus on myself i'm gonna they tend to be very focused on their careers mm-hmm. very logical very disconnected from their emotions right and again some of these things are strengths in our culture by the way right that's why I think I think that's right. That's the perfect place to segue into. That is why I think people look at it as avoidant is better than anxious. Oh, well, you don't feel. You're so career focused. You're independent. You focus on you and the anxious is so dependent on everybody else and can't be alone. And that is, I think, where there is a divide in the understanding about both sides that one is not better. They both stem from insecurity. They both stem from needs not being met. Like I remember a guy, I dated a guy and he was super um, avoidant because like growing up his father would put him down for having emotions it was that he would be made fun of and he was always told that there wasn't safe to be emotional and like to be a man and so he grew up with I don't do that I completely retreat it's terrifying that vulnerability was so scary for him to show and I think there is that perception of oh well then they don't care it's like correct me if I'm wrong that has nothing to do with it So we've identified a lot about avoidant and anxious, but I still think there's more to go. There is. There definitely is. You take it. So one thing I did want to say before we move on to the third, I want to say something about avoidant because you liked when I said about the anxiously attached negative model of self for anxiously attached positive model of others. For avoidant, that flips. Yeah. Positive model of self negative model of others and just again keep in mind why that makes so much sense based on their experience in their experience people weren't showing up for them right right and so they learned i can't rely on them but i could rely on myself and they have a lot of proof of relying on themselves working right right and so oriented exactly exactly and so they tend to have a positive model of self and that negative model of others which is where the fear of intimacy really comes in. It's not that they don't want connection and love. Right. They absolutely do, but they're almost expecting to be let down, right? So that's the avoidant. Yeah, and that's why they jump ship so quickly. That's why you'll see an avoidant, they can oftentimes come in really hard, and then it's a, but I understand it, right? they just abruptly left, and it's like, were you starting to get closer and build a connection and start to form intimacy? Yes, exactly, and... There is that, like, it's that's a protective mechanism, right? So again, this is where the nervous system, like, has been coming in here and there, right? So the avoidant regulates by withdrawing. Yeah. They have learned to self-regulate. Self-regulating is things you do on your own to calm your nervous system. Yeah. They're really good at that. So when they get overwhelmed, when there is danger, and remember, other people to them are a sign of danger because other people have hurt them. Yeah. They withdraw. And they self-regulate, which is where they pull away. Now, the anxiously attached, yep. how do they regulate? They regulate with others. That's all they learned. Remember, their primary caregivers were around, but they couldn't really depend on them. They were kind of always going away. So they never learned to self-regulate. Their 
they were fixated on other people yeah. and connecting with other people, connecting with their primary caregivers, which never allowed them to form a connection with themselves, to learn yeah. to explore, to find self-expression, right? They picked belonging over self-expression. Which is like, and, and I can, th- it's almost in the same, like the anxious person wants to be saved. Oftentimes it's like, you want someone to just come and make this all better. Whereas the avoidant has understood, no, I need to be, I need to completely retreat myself because only I can make this better. Exactly. So it's an interesting perspective. That's what saying, yeah. yeah, which just came to me. I love but that. But I think somebody also asked, can you be both? Ooh, okay. So there's two parts to this, right? First of all, our attachment, and maybe this is an important time to say this anyway, yeah. our attachment changes throughout our life. Yeah. It is not just like a fixed label that we put on ourselves, right? But even more importantly, we could have different attachments in different parts of our life because we've had different experiences, different traumas, let's say, and our nervous system learned to protect us in different ways because that's what these things are. They're survival strategies that your nervous system picked up in response to trauma, Mm -hmm. right? So if people weren't showing up for you, your nervous system is like, okay, our survival strategies, do everything on your own. That's gonna keep you self from pain because that remember how much pain it caused you to want other people and them not to show up, yeah. right? So that's how we're going to keep you safe. We're never going to rely on other people. So that's kind of one way of keeping you safe. And so you could have different attachments in different parts of your life. Yeah. That's kind of what I was trying to say. Meaning like you could have with your friends, you could be avoidant, but with your romantic partner, you could be really anxious because you probably had different traumas. If you had a friend yeah. trauma and then a very different type of trauma in your relationship, you'll have different attachments in different areas. And how they come off to you too. Like, and so that's the second part. Yeah, it's like that feeding that off. Right. So first of all, you could have different attachments in different areas of your life based on different traumas, but you also feed off the other person. Yeah. So you could be relatively secure, maybe even anxious, but then if you're with a partner who's really anxious, you might be like, whoa, I'm really overwhelmed by their emotions. And suddenly you shift into avoidant. Yeah. And I know this has happened like in the course of my relationship. I've been with my partner 15 years. Yeah. I feel like we've had multiple relationships and we've shifted. Yeah. His attachment has shifted my attachment has shifted and it's just been so interesting to watch how we play off each other because actually for a long time I thought I was anxiously attached (laughs) and then I realized oh I'm not anxiously attached he was just avoided maybe even disorganized when we were young and that was dysregulating my nervous system which made me kind of lean in but for the most part if I look at all other areas of my life and how I am now that we've kind of done some more work I'm probably the one to pull away a little bit more. I get overwhelmed by people's emotions sometimes. Which makes sense. I mean, so I know that you can exhibit different, but like I know me, even with the tech guy, I'm significantly more avoidant now than I ever have been. And also just because the pendulum sometimes swings and yeah, you get triggered. But what about disorganized or fearful avoidant? That is, that's in and of itself something else. And that's something else, right? So a lot of people say, oh, disorganized is just a combination of the two. And that's not exactly true. Okay. You could have two different attachment, different areas or change attachment, but disorganized is a little different. So what disorganized attachment is? Let's keep going back to what that looked like in childhood to understand Please. what was actually happening and what is still happening. So disorganized attachment happens when in childhood, your physical, mental, emotional needs are severely neglected or there's abuse, or there's a primary caregiver who's struggling with mental health issues. So there's a lot of instability. There's chaos. The child grows up never knowing what they're going to get, Mm -hmm. right? And they start to equate love with pain. Yeah. 
for whatever there might it might be because of abuse but it might also be because the primary caregiver is not well or struggling themselves and so they're constantly getting hurt they love their parents they want to be with them but when they're close to them they feel pain okay and so that creates this organized attachment or fearful attachment yeah. and what that means is it's an intense need for connection which is what we all have that's the common thread here right coupled with fear right because in their lived experience in their trauma being close to people led to a lot of pain yeah and so when they grow up they go into adulthood in relationship they want to be close they want to be connected they want to be loved but as soon as they get close they pull away because there is an intense fear that comes over them and so let's talk about like model of self and others how we talked about before they have a negative model of self and a negative model of others and that's what makes it so hard they don't trust other people because they've been hurt yeah but they also never learn to trust themselves similarly to an anxiously attached person and so that's what creates this intense back and forth these intense mood swings um they tend to give off a very come here go away energy they tend to come off very outgoing gregarious and then when you get close their nervous system just sends off all the warning signs of like, this is so dangerous, this is so bad, and they retreat very, very quickly. Yeah. So they want to be connected and close, but as soon as they're there, they just get overwhelmed and they pull away. That's where I think the blend, or it's like there's a blend of it because there are characteristics of both. It's not like a you cut them both down the middle and you got to disorganize. But I have, as we talked about earlier, I have dated somebody like that. And when you brought that to my attention, I, even my own mom, my own mother is disorganized. And I didn't, but then talking to her and understanding her childhood traumas, I'm like, no wonder. Yeah. She had that push pull that wasn't really giving, but she wanted the love. And so I can completely see and understand it. And I think it's just, it's so interesting for us to understand. And then I think what people, you know what? We're going to get into that in the next segment. Welcome back. So we've now established, obviously, the, we know the, we know the attachment styles. I'd love to debunk this a little bit and talk about some, some I think, myths or some things that I think are going around that it's time somebody spoke up. So I'll let you take this from here because I know you got a few and I'll interject. Okay, where do we begin? So I think the first one that comes up for me is that attachment is like a dating tool yeah. or a technique, Yeah. right? Because we learn about it on here. We're like, okay, I need to apply this to my dating life. And that is not what attachment right. theory is for. It is not to improve your dating life. Like that's not literally what it's meant for. And what it's actually meant for, like why I teach it to every single client of mine, well, honestly, every person in my life, I'm like, you need to understand this, Yeah, is because it allows you to have compassion and understanding yep. for yourself and for others. Yeah. That's what it enables you to do. You could understand your behavior and have some compassion for it instead of like, oh, why am I such an anxious mess? Like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. There's some unresolved pain within me that I'm still dealing with and my nervous system is asking me to look at, right? And in the same way, you could do that for other people of, oh, why are they acting like that? They must be an asshole. They must be a narcissist. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe they're also struggling. Maybe you could have some understanding that their nervous system Mm -hmm. is feeling overwhelmed and that they need a little bit of support, but the support they need when they're dysregulated is different than the support you need when you're dysregulated. And I think that's what attachment 
could really like attachment theory could really give us and I think we're missing that oh a hundred percent I mean I we, we scream this from the rooftops it's like we don't go over all of this stuff to go okay cool then how do I not date an avoidant or how do I deal with it or how do I get them to, this isn't about changing other people this is about understanding yourself your core your wounds your triggers and how to move into a place of security so you can live a life that feels more aligned with the life that you want to live as opposed to living in this fight or flight trying to figure out how to not walk on the landmines along the way because it's a lot of well how do I do this with an avoidant and how do I do that it's like what you do is you stop fucking with people that are triggering your whatever it is that you are feeling triggered and understand why it is that you keep going for those people what is coming up for you what is this trying to tell you and where did you learn along the way that you that these are your belief systems and where did that become ingrained in your being where did you add that to your computer along the journey once you understand that you can work to fix your fucking self and then you can start to identify in future partners what triggers you and where you shouldn't spend your energy and time because as you move into a place of security it's not that like I always it's not like these things go away you don't just wake up and you feel oh my god I'm great everything's perfect I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make any of those mistakes but what it does teach you is you can start to identify when you start to see let's say somebody avoidant or your central nervous system is getting flared up you know within yourself ah this is triggering something within me that doesn't feel good it's not about great now how can I use this to manipulate or to figure them out it's to go I don't like this this is triggering for me this brings up this and you know what somebody who can't like an avoidant somebody who can't regulate and has to take the space doesn't work for me or maybe it's I can identify this is where I'm being triggered this is where my anxieties start to play in and it might be it's okay to date someone that's avoidant it's not like we're sitting here saying avoid this with all the cost I mean shit makes up a good population of the people but it's about then how you can handle and understand you accept other people like you said you have the compassion for other people to accept where they are on the journey where you are on the journey and can you actually make this work by respecting their boundaries as well so if an avoidant has a need for space and you're super anxious get a fucking grip and start to sit in that discomfort as opposed to well I want my way and I need someone that's going to give it all to me yes exactly Oh, yes, to so much of it, right? And like kind of brings to the next kind of myth, which is that one attachment is better than the Uh. other, right? That like anxious is better than avoidant and I need to avoid avoidance. It's like, well, by that logic, they would avoid you because you're anxious, right? But by that logic, like you're also a problem. The reality is like attachment isn't trying to say that someone's broken. They're not broken. You're not broken. It's just giving you a deeper understanding. It's like, what is driving that? What is happening within my nervous system? What is happening within theirs? And you're right. Once you understand your attachment and you start doing the work you could say hey these are my needs can this person meet them can I try to communicate them we could work together and maybe they can't or maybe you decide hey I know like you could almost start to use attachment as as a love language of this is my stuff and can you understand that and what are ways you can support that and I can understand yours and what are ways I could support you and love you in the way you need to be loved right because at the end of the day all of us are healing all of us have trauma there are very few people who are just a hundred percent secure and like if your goal is to go out and find that Good luck. Good luck. I would I wouldn't believe anyone who said it. Exactly. And, and honestly, if that you find that unicorn, like, well, if you're anxiously attached, I don't know if they're gonna see that as a red flag, 100%. right? And so it's like that's not the point. We don't need to be looking for these like perfect people. No. We need to be 
understanding ourselves, what's happening within us, understanding our needs, voicing our boundaries, and trying to communicate that to another person. And if they're open and receptive to that, yeah. well, then there's like, you just found a huge opportunity for personal growth. Yeah. You guys can grow together and support one another. And the fact that one of you is anxious and one of you is avoidant, that could actually be a good thing. Yeah. Right. If you guys are both willing to come to the table and learn about one another and understand one another, but we're not using attachment that way. We're using it to like point fingers and label people and cancel people. And like, that's not the point. We're we're missing it. We're missing these like huge opportunities for growth. I'm going to say a Masha statement. People are using it as an excuse, not an explanation. And that was one of my favorite things that you said when we first met. And I was like, oh, fuck, there it is. Because it's it's not about using it of, well, I'm anxious and my partner isn't meeting my needs. Because for all those folks that like to say that, in the same vein, what do you think they say about you? Well, I'm avoidant and she's super fucking anxious and won't leave me alone and keeps, ab- keeps texting me and, and won't give me any space in the same light that you keep saying, well, they're not texting me and they want the space and they're pulling away from me. You can understand what I mean by it keeps triggering the situation. So what you use, like when I recommend attached, I always tell people, I'm like, don't become attached to your attachment style. Don't wear this like a badge of honor of like, well, I'm avoidant and that's just what I am or I'm anxious and that's what I am. It's like, you're going to dig your heel in the sands. All right, well, good luck with that. But you use it as a tool of saying, I have this and this is how, oh, I understand that this this behavior causes th- me to feel this, not this behavior does this. Okay, so now how can I change that behavior? How can Mm -hmm. I change the other person? Because I'll tell you right now, for everyone listening, if you're going to ask us, how do you date and avoid it? Here's the best advice. Learn to accept it. Stop trying to change them. Learn to accept that they need space. It's the same as when I started dating tech guys saying I have more anxiety. I was like, you're going to need to know these things about me. That this is what I, this is how I regulate. And we can, you know, you, you compromise and you learn and you grow. But at the end of the day, who you are is who you are. And then you start to differentiate. Do, is it a want or is it a need? Exactly. And the ear attachment style is the need. But your central nervous system is the want. Or I'm sorry, I lied. Your central nervous system is the need. They need certain things to, co- to self-regulate. But your attachment style is the want. Well, I have to have all of this. No, you don't. No. No, you don't. No, no, absolutely you do not. And that also kind of brings up the other, I think, myth, which is you can predict or you could effectively identify another person's attachment, yeah. right? Because that's another thing. Like when we're using it as this dating tool, we're yeah. kind of using it as like, oh, I just went on a few dates of like, I think he's this and that means this. And right. it's like, the reality is you actually can't effectively identify someone else's attachment, especially early on in a relationship. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. When the relationship getting, starts getting a little deeper and there's a little bit more intimacy, you will start to see signs. And even then you might not have all the puzzle pieces to really be able to say what it is yeah but early on in a relationship it's very easy for all of us to kind of come off secure because we mostly are secure right it's when we get into kind of more intimate dynamics that our trauma our stuff starts to come up and start to get triggered and that's when the attachment is going to come out so like trying to anticipate it early on again why right and it's like what what do you think you're going to get out of that I think another, the last debunk that I have for me is that like secure means that you're super healthy in the sense where like nothing bothers you. 
But what secure actually means is that you know you will be okay no matter fucking what happens. So I can even see out of the corner of my eye a lot of these things that we start to see that start to to crawl in of like, well, this and what is this and what is this? And you can start to see where the anxiety even lays when people ask a specific question because it's, there's so much of this, I'm not going to be okay if this doesn't work out. And what do you think people feel? But when you are secure, you know, it might hurt. You might get triggered. Yeah, you're right. But you know how to stop, figure, sense your shit and go, wait a minute, I'm doing it again, aren't I? Which is what I did yesterday when I had my little fucking anxiety moment. I had a little, little meltdown and I had to stop myself in the moment and go, oh my God, you literally just created an entire narrative to fit the old ways of thinking. That is somebody who can be secure to go, we're not going to let that happen because I know even if the breakup happens, I'll be okay. My happiness doesn't, isn't contingent upon the other person in my life. They're in addition to, not instead of. And my central nervous system isn't calmed because of somebody else. I can do that myself. I have the tools now to self-regulate. Yeah. And I, this kind of brings up an important point of, like with anxious attachment, the goal is to self-regulate. So yeah. first of all, you said something important too. Even if you've done a lot of work and healed, yeah. that doesn't mean you your attachment will never come up again. I've right. done a lot of work and I could still notice my avoidant attachment come up. And I notice myself even become anxious in certain situations, right? Yeah. If someone triggers me or in a relationship with a friend or my partner does something, right? Like that's still going to happen. Yeah. It's what's showing how much work you've done or how healed you are is how capable you are of regulating through that and then coming Mm -hmm. to a calm grounded place and then making a decision from that more calm grounded place versus the dysregulated place versus that like 10 year old making the decision right and I think that's really really important and so with anxious attachment it's all about self-regulating like you said that so beautifully like you know you've done the work because you are like clearly showing these moments where you're getting triggered because you're human, because you're in a your yeah. relationship, the intimacy is increasing. And of course, that means that you're going to get triggered and you're able to pause, regulate, yeah. and then come out on the other side and make an informed decision, right? Right, And that's the work for an anxiously attached person versus for someone who leans more avoidant, their work is actually going to be in co-regulating. They need to regulate their nervous systems with other people. They only know how to regulate on their mm. own. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. how could you sustain a relationship if every time there's a problem and every time you're dysregulated, you're going to run the other way? Right, yeah. Right? You need to learn to also co-regulate. And I say this because I think like sometimes we talk a lot about self-regulation, but in a healthy, like a healthy person could both co-regulate yeah. and self-regulate. If you're just self-regulating, yes, people a lot of times say that's secure because I'm good on my own. It's like, no, you're afraid of regulating with others. You're afraid yeah. of connection and intimacy, right? But if you're only co-regulating, obviously that has its own problem. So we really need both. And this is where the nervous system comes in. At the end of the day, what we're really talking about here is just different ways of regulating different survival strategies that we learned in response to trauma same same but different in my same same but different in my eyes and I think you know I think maybe next week we'll dive in even deeper because I think there's just so much more to talk about of like how do you regulate and how do you use all of these tools that we have had so I think this is the best place to say part one has come to an end but Next week, we're going to fucking keep going into this and we're going to talk more and we're going to deep dive and we have so much more to talk about. So 
Masha, thank you for joining on this part of the week. I'm going to let her give a send-off. My last send-off is please like the podcast. Thank you guys so much. If you want to work with me uh, one-on-one, you most certainly can, or you can join the Patreon, which is Sabrina Zohar on Patreon, and you can become a monthly member, and Masha will share how you can get in touch with her. Yeah, and if I could just say one final thing. It's just like if you guys take away anything, it's to remember that – you are not broken. Whatever your attachment style, whatever is happening in your nervous system, it's not broken. It's actually incredibly fucking brilliant. Your nervous system learned to survive. It learned to overcome unimaginable pain and traumas, which we've all gone through. And that's what you're experiencing, right? And you can heal that and you don't need to be perfectly healed, but you could work through that. You could find regulation within yourself and, and in connection with others. And... Yeah, that was, you- that was so beautifully said, by the way. So whoever stays this long in the episode, you're going to hear that again next week because I love that. And so we're going to remind everybody of that thought. We'll talk about it again. But anyways, <laughs> but anyways, if um, where you could find me, you could find me on TikTok at Coach Masha K, K-A-Y, Masha is M-A-S-H-A. And on Instagram, you could find me at Masha K, again, K-A-Y. If you're interested in working with me as a thank you for listening all the way to the end. So like, you deserve this. And I'm offering a nervous system audit. So a 90-minute one-on-one session with me to check in on your nervous system, to notice where is the dysregulation, identify the triggers, all of the good stuff. If you'd like to do that, you can use the code SABRINA to get a pretty huge discount. Yeah. And yeah, it's and actually yeah. huge. Yes, it's it's the session is going to be 99 instead of 275. So it's a big discount as a thank you for hanging out with us today. Yeah, and I will I'll tag everything in the show notes so you guys can find Masha everywhere. But until next week, guys.